Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? It is full. Life is full right now. I think I say that every episode. I guess it's always true. (laughs) Yeah, full in a good way. Full in a good way. About to launch my book next month and getting ready to move into a new house and have recently changed jobs. So yeah, it's a lot, but it's all good stuff. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh my (laughs) gosh. How are you coping? I'm breathing in and out a lot. And um, that's about it. (laughs) And I just keep telling myself, I'll get through it. I'll get through it. What about you? Yeah, um, things are good on my end. Um, Avery just started walking, which has introduced a whole new level of mm, challenge to our day-to-day. I thought keeping a newborn alive was going to be the hard part, but keeping a little creature who runs headfirst into bricks (laughs) and pavement and door door frames, that is uh, a lot harder. Like everything is a weapon. Oh, gosh. Everything is a weapon that goes in your mouth, in your eye. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's a tough age. It is. And I, um, a few weeks ago, got to go um, on a little girls weekend that was really nice and restorative. And within hours after I got back, Avery ran into the um, frame of the door in his bedroom and got a bloody nose and his nose swelled up and we were like panicked thinking that he had broken it but you know calmed ourselves down and and then the daycare called and said that the next day that they were sick and couldn't take any kids the next day (laughs) so it was like go on a girl's trip and come back to like oh okay bring me back down to earth there (laughs) goes all your relaxation (laughs) yeah yeah but you know gosh it's it's fun. It's still a lot of fun every day. And they're amazingly resilient little kids. They are. And that was the great thing. Within about a day or two, like the swelling in his nose had gone down. You couldn't even tell it had happened. It was just scary in the moment because he was, you know, bleeding. Anytime your kid is bleeding, it's like not – it's not fun. So so true. I'm glad he's okay and um, maybe you'll find some like padded surfaces to keep him in sometimes. <laughs> that's what, that's what we're doing right now. The child proofing is is real. <laughs> oh gosh. So before we get started, we have a really sweet new review on Apple Podcasts. Sarah Midwest says, as a Christian who is constantly learning about social justice, this podcast makes me feel less alone in the world. There aren't many spaces where I can find Christians to agree with me about LGBTQ plus issues, reproductive rights, racism, etc. But Katie and Ashley are unapologetic about their views. Their episode about diet culture was a revelation. Thanks for showing me I still have a space in this faith, folks. That's one of the mm. nicest reviews. I really appreciate that. So yeah. thank you. Um, and to everyone else, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We love to read them. They also help other people find our podcast. And if you're looking for another way to support our show, please consider becoming a patron. Your monthly contribution helps us cover the cost of the show. So go to patreon.com slash kindreds to support us today. And we'll give you a little shout out on the show if you yes, join. Yes, we will. <laughs> Okay, today we are going to talk about men and feminism. There's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. 
So I can't remember, Katie, have we ever defined patriarchy on the podcast before? I don't think so. I know we've talked about it, but I don't think that we've given a definition. Yeah, I feel like today's episode is a good uh, a good opportunity for us to just talk about patriarchy and what it is. And um, I, before we really get into the conversation about feminism and men's role in feminism, uh, we should do that. So I like the way I found an article on thebodyisnotanapology.com, and it's called Seven Reasons Why Patriarchy is Bad and Feminism is Good for Men. <laughs> we'll link it. to that. Yeah, I do too. We'll link to that in the show notes. But the way that this article defines patriarchy is the conceptualization of how men, especially cis men, and masculinity are seen as better than, more respected than, and hold more privileges than women and non-binary people or femininity. And I like that definition because it's more than just like men have more power in society. That's sort of like the basic definition of patriarchy. But it's that femininity and things associated with women and femininity are largely seen as inferior to men mm-hmm. or masculinity. So mm-hmm. it just is uh, is broader than that. So feminism seeks to undo patriarchy, which is number 1 why people think that it's just for women because why would men want to participate in something that undoes a system where they benefit. And number two, it can be scary for men to participate because it necessarily means letting go of power when we're undoing patriarchy. So uh, I guess I'll put this question to you. Can men even be feminists? It's good to ask the question and not presume that the answer or that we have an answer. But yeah, in my view, men absolutely can be feminists and should be feminists. Mm-hmm. I've talked about feminism before as a movement, and Mm -hmm. it's a social, political, theological movement, which means that anybody can, and frankly, in my view, should participate in feminism. Mm -hmm. We need men to be critical of misogyny and patriarchy, um, Mm -hmm. how it harms anyone who identifies as anything other than like traditional masculinity. So anyone who Mm -hmm. identifies as female or feminine of center Mm -hmm. Um, And as you were alluding to, how patriarchy and misogyny harm men as well. Um, Because the construction of the gender binary that we've talked about before does benefit men in really significant ways, um, especially if you're a wealthy, straight, white Christian man in the U.S. Mm -hmm. But it's also constricting and really confining and can create toxic masculinity that is really violent and aggressive. Can you talk a little bit more about toxic masculinity and what that is? I think there's a misconception about it. Right. So you actually helped us find a really good definition from the Good Men Project, which is an awesome website if you all haven't been to it before. Yeah. But they say that toxic masculinity is a narrow and repressive description of manhood. Designated manhood as evident as defined by violence, sex, status, and aggression. It's a cultural idea of manliness where strength is everything. I would say physical strength is probably what they mean. Yeah, probably. While emotions are a weakness, where sex and brutality are yardsticks by which men are measured, while supposedly feminine traits, which can range from emotional vulnerability to simply not being hypersexual, are the means by which your status as man can be taken away. That is a really good definition. I thought so too. And you know, that the last part, your status as a man can be taken away. Have you ever heard somebody say like, oh, watch out, they'll take your man card? Yes. 
Yeah, that's what that reminded me of. So it's like toxic masculinity starts in really subtle ways. And we, I think we think about toxic masculinity in its most extreme. Like we're talking about violence and aggression and, and things like that. But it also is perpetuated in like small moments of like talking about, you know, if a guy like scented candles, watch out, they'll take away your man card or you're mm. going to have to turn in your man card. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting because I hear stuff like that all the time yeah or man up right Mm -hmm. like man up which usually means do an aggressive thing Mm -hmm. um or um what it like grow some balls right like yes that's another one and it's all connected to like male virility and sexuality yeah and if you because taking your man card away right is about like you're not seen as like being a um like a studly guy yeah, a quote unquote real man because we've decided that there is one way to be a man. And right. I think that that's something that we have tried to explore a lot on this podcast when we talk about gender roles and, yeah. and expanding the definition of that. Yeah, and I was thinking about the conversation that we had with Robin Henderson Espinoza on episode 27 yes. on gender identity because they talk about embodying a tender masculinity, uh, which is not a a term coined by Robin, but one that Robin uses. Cause I had to look it up. I'm like, maybe they came up with that. I don't know, but I love that concept of tender masculinity defined by love and compassion, relationship and intimacy. Um, and that's why feminism is so important because it, it critiques that toxic masculinity that we were talking about it opens up all kinds of space for different kinds of male gender expression to be accepted and celebrated. So it frees all of us when we Mm -hmm. critique patriarchy. So speaking of which, we've talked a little bit about this, but how does patriarchy hurt men? If it benefits them, how does it also hurt them? Like, what does that even look like? I think about this all the time now that I have a son. Mm -hmm. How does our, how is he shaped and going to be shaped by our society and the ways that patriarchy is going to influence him. Yeah. And there is this great documentary. Have you seen it? It's called The Mask You Live In. Yes. It's so good. It's by so the good. Representation Project, which if people aren't familiar, the Representation Project is re- also responsible for producing misrepresentation yes. about how girls are portrayed in media and like the way that the media sexualizes young girls. And um, the tagline is like, you can't be what you can't see. And so if all girls see of themselves represented in media is as like sexual objects or all of the like feminine stereotypes that it limits our potential to like run for office and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, the mask you live in kind of explores how our society shapes young men. And it used to be available on Netflix. I don't think it's still there, but you can rent it on Amazon for like $3 uh, mm-hmm. the last time I looked. So it's a really um, accessible documentary. And I think anybody that especially works with young people um, or has sons, daughters, like I think um, it would be interesting for you as well. Some of the stuff that I learned in that documentary is really troubling. I didn't know that boys are more likely to binge drink. They're more likely to be diagnosed with behavioral disorders and then prescribe stimulant medications. They're more likely to commit violent crime. And they're at higher risk of suicide than girls. Actually, Mm. suicide is the third leading cause of death for boys. Mm. And that just breaks my heart. And a lot of that stems from the pressure that they get from our culture growing up to always act tough 
and to be in competition with each other and to resist having like deep male friendships because they might be called gay or whatever. And it encourages them to suppress and ignore their emotions like you were saying because emotions are considered for girls and so Mm -hmm. if boys really embrace their emotions they're considered weak and that Mm -hmm. right there is how patriarchy puts men in a box as well Mm -hmm. and how it hurts men too and something that like this comes up all the time even though Avery is still just a baby I took him to uh, the grocery store once and people, I don't know if you experienced this, like people just comment on your kid (laughs) all the time, like out in Mm -hmm. public. And usually, I mean, it's always positive and it's like a sweet way to connect with other people, especially parents. But I remember this uh, man came up and he was talking about his own sons and how he, then he just said this thing that was so out of, kind of out of the blue to me. He was like, yeah, I always wrestled with my sons. Are you going to wrestle with them? And I was like, I mean, if that's what he likes to do, maybe. And he was like, yeah, I always wrestled with my sons to keep them from being soft, you know, because it's just, it's not good for boys to be soft in our country. Mm. And I didn't even really know what to say to Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those interactions always leave me really tongue-tied. And I never have a good comeback until, like, days later when I think of something. Like, I wish I would have said that. But yeah, that's a lot to take in. And the whole concept of, what's appropriate physical contact between a father and son is something that's aggressive and might yeah. not even be something that the son consents to. Yeah. But has to accept as almost a like a ritual, like a formative this is this is what it means to be a man. I think if if you're losing the tenderness between father and son at a young age, what mark does that then have on a little boy growing up? Yeah. That makes yeah. me feel really sad. <laughs> I know. Me too. <laughs> me Aww. too. And it just reinforces to me that I want to create something different for my son, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Pat really does too. Um, it's something that we talk about a lot and he has a, he has a very, I, I would not have thought to use the word tender before, but he and his dad have a very tender relationship and mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Matt and his dad do do as well, and I feel like I'm the beneficiary of mm-hmm. having a husband who grew up in a household where gender norms were not enforced. And mm. um, I mean, his his dad is a wonderful conversationalist and a very empathetic person, and I see both Matt and his brother exhibiting those same qualities, and it's so refreshing. And at the same time, it makes me sad to think how so many boys don't have that growing up Mm -hmm. and either have to learn it later, which is much harder, um, Mm -hmm. or just reject it altogether because they don't want to be perceived as not masculine. Mm -hmm. So now that we've laid the groundwork for how patriarchy hurts men and why it's important for men to be feminist, how, what does it look like when men call themselves feminists. What do you think about that? I admit that I get a little skeptical (laughs) at first. Yeah. I think claiming a label like feminist is, well, you're, you're claiming a lot for yourself Mm -hmm. and holding yourself to a pretty high, high standard. I think it would be equivalent to me as a white person saying like, I do anti-racist work or Mm -hmm. I am anti-racist. Yeah. That's a good Uh, point. Like, what does that mean? Like, where are your receipts? So (laughs) yeah. I'm looking for, yeah, I'm looking for that embodiment of feminism in the way that that person shows up in spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they leverage their male privilege 
uh, to call out male peers for being sexist? Mm -hmm. You know, do they, for example, give up an opportunity to speak on a panel if everybody else on that panel is a white male and they insist and said that someone else, a person of color, some underrepresented group is gets that spot instead. Like I really want to see the commitment and, and then really frankly not ask for recognition. Um, yeah. It's like, it's just do the work, right? Like that's what I hear people of color say to white people, just do the work. Yep. So, um, so I think you've already maybe mentioned this, but like, I'm not even looking for someone to uphold the label necessarily. I'm looking for how their actions match the values. Yeah. And yeah, show me your receipts. Yep. <laughs> Keep doing the work. Unlearn the male bias that we all have mm-hmm. um, and the internalized misogyny that we all have and know that it's going to take a lifetime to get there. It's not an overnight kind of thing. Yeah. So are there any displays of feminism from men that you feel like we can celebrate? Yeah, I was thinking about this. And again, it, um, and I want to hear your answer to this too, but I was thinking of displays of solidarity from Mm -hmm. men who don't necessarily proclaim feminism in a super public way, but whose actions demonstrate their commitment. And the one who immediately came to mind is Terry Crews. Yeah. His willingness to share publicly about his experience with sexual assault and how he has opened up space for other men to talk about their own experiences of sexual abuse in the entertainment industry specifically. Yeah. Um, and there's also simultaneously other issues that he's raising at the same time in that intersectional frame about being a black man in this country. Mm-hmm. Because one of the responses people said when he talked about his experience of being um, abused was, well, why didn't you just, like, punch the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, to be a black man in this country and use physical violence against somebody would have resulted in him being arrested, mm-hmm. put in prison. Um, so just thinking about, like, what are those knee-jerk reactions that we culturally have because of the gender binary that we operate in? And how does that intersect with things like race? And I just feel like he has really stood firmly and has been willing to use his platform to show that Me Too is not about women and men. Like, this is about how power shows up and anyone can be harmed by systems of abuse and control and coercion. And I feel like he's just kind of helped broaden the conversation to include a lot more people and, again, show how... We're, we're all harmed by this. And one quick thing I'll just say is I think sometimes Me Too and feminism get conflated. Yeah. And they're not the same thing. But I think Me, the Me Too is an opportunity to talk about feminism and patriarchy, um, especially right now as people are paying attention to it. But I did want to make that distinction because I think sometimes they get conflated with each other and they're they're definitely different things. I think that is a really good point. What about you? Are there examples that you want to lift up? Yeah. So I think I shared this article with you when it came out. But about a month ago, there were these uh, teenage boys at a an all-boys Catholic school in Manhattan. And there were a couple articles going around about them. They started a feminism club at their high school. And it's called He for She. And that's based on Emma Watson's campaign. She was Hermione in the Harry Potter movies. And she is a United Nations goodwill ambassador and has this a talk that she gave at the UN about why it's important for men to be feminists. And we can uh, link that in the show notes as well. It's really good. But these boys 
they got tired of hearing all the like quote locker room talk around their school Mm. and they started to see like the older they got as they started to get into high school they had come up with the same group of boys all the way through kindergarten and the older they were getting they started to see some of this like beginnings of toxic masculinity showing up but these two young men that started this club they had female friends and they were listening to their female friends talking about stuff like street harassment and sexism that they dealt with. And they were drawing these parallels like, oh, this is what is happening at our guy's school. And so they started this feminism club. They are they meet every week. They meet also in conjunction with um, their like sister school, the all girls Catholic school. There's a black girls rock club at their school. So the, these boys are even learning about intersectional feminism together And they're doing things like pointing out gaps in their curriculum where, like, um, their English class, they didn't read a single female author in their, like, freshman English. And they've called that to attention. And they want to learn more about women and contributions to history and things like that. So I guess the article came out after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. But I thought it was Mm. really interesting because the boys pointed out they watched uh, Dr. Ford's testimony and they saw Mm. the parallels between, you know, what's going on in our political world and their own, like, upper class private school all boys upbringing and they could see Mm -hmm. how just like his just like his and so um i think that's just really cool that these boys had this ability to like look at the big picture and see themselves in it and understand that they had work to do and to educate themselves and so i don't know that one made me really happy for the future of of young men yeah and having them talk to each Mm -hmm. other i think that's so important for these conversations to happen among male peers just Mm -hmm. to it's not just about like talking with women about women's struggles it's figuring out like how does this impact me too and what are we going to do it about it collectively that does give me a lot of hope for the future and how do we not put it on the women in our lives to educate us how do we take it upon Mm -hmm. ourselves to do the work to learn what we need to to have the tough conversations because so often i think women we end up sort of carrying the emotional labor of educating the men in our lives about what we go through. And Mm -hmm. uh, that gets exhausting. And like you've already mentioned, you know, when we've talked about with, with white people, when we want to learn about our privilege, it's not on the people of color in our lives to educate us. It's about us to educate ourselves. And it's the same with, with men and sexism right go go to the library Mm -hmm. get some books yeah exactly (laughs) pay some people pay some people for their yeah for their expertise (laughs) yep yeah but you know like you said for me it's not really so much about calling yourself a feminist it's about how you show up in the world it's about do you let go of some of your power like you said you know if you're the man on a speaking panel do you actually like turn down the opportunity so that somebody else can somebody from a marginalized identity can have your spot that's really showing up talking Mm -hmm. about it is is all fine and good but when it actually comes to letting go of some of your privilege do you do that Mm -hmm. i don't know definitely do you want to talk about the the dudes in our life yes (laughs) (laughs) They, they deserve some credit i think they do you know this might be a little bit cheesy but in thinking about this you know 
my husband, Pat, would not call himself a feminist. We've had those conversations a few, a few times, and I'm usually like, but just own it. You know, call yourself a fe- <laughs> feminist. We can't be afraid of that word or whatever. But uh-huh. he's just, you know, he says there's just so much cultural baggage around the word that he doesn't think the word is important, really, that it's more about values. And okay, I mean, I can get behind that. And in, I was thinking about this in our life. He has he has challenged patriarchal norms in some ways that I think are really important. So before we got pregnant, he uh, had a full-time job in a like traditionally masculine field. It was, he was a high earner. He was a breadwinner, but he traveled all the time for work. And I was mm-hmm. home by myself most of the time and just defaulted to doing all of the household labor, basically. Mm-hmm. And so we had a pretty like <laughs> traditional like gender role kind of household. But when I got pregnant, it was really important to him to step back and look at our life and to, he wanted to be home more. He want, he didn't want to miss out on any of the parenting stuff. And he knew that if he kept his job, he would. And so we actually like upended our dynamic, our household dynamic. And he left his job for a lower paying, more flexible job that would allow him to be home more. And he also took a 12 week family leave to be right there alongside Mm -hmm. me with our newborn you know Mm -hmm. and we were lucky that we were both able to do that but um the fact that he wanted to was even Mm -hmm. really I mean that was great but um he's gotten a lot of pushback because now I'm the one with a full-time job I'm the the breadwinner and we've gotten pushback from our families about why it just didn't make sense to some people why he would leave his job making more money why wouldn't I just quit my job you know, but mm-hmm. that wouldn't solve the problem of him being gone. You know, it wasn't that right. we needed some, we needed childcare. It was that we both wanted a relationship, like a full, meaningful relationship with our son. And he mm-hmm. was afraid he wouldn't be able to do that being gone all the time. So mm-hmm. to me, that is like really embodying the values, the fe- like feminist values that we're trying to live out. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really good to hear. And I think the flexibility and fluidity, maybe fluidity is a better Mm -hmm. word for it, of how things change, jobs change, Mm -hmm. life circumstances change, and the openness and willingness to constantly renegotiate how your roles are and like being okay with finances changing and adjusting to that. And I've definitely seen that happen in my relationship with Matt lots and lots of different times since we've had a kid. Like we're constantly mm-hmm. renegotiating things depending on how things are are going and for it's kind of op well maybe not opposite similar to where you are Matt and I are once again co-breadwinners where we're almost at parity in terms of salary and that's mm-hmm. been a long time coming for me because I went and did my own business for a while and like was not bringing in much money but now we're almost on equal footing, which feels really good to both of us. Mm -hmm. But it's also meant a loss of flexibility for me because I'm working in DC Mm -hmm. and I have to travel every week and I have seven people reporting to me, six or seven people reporting to me. It's very high demanding and I just started. And so when we decided we were going to find a new house, I said to him, I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't be getting the appointments together and all that stuff. And he said, I will, I will take this on. And I've, I have felt some guilt, not from him, but just 
that my desire to be there yeah. in a more full way as a partner. But what he has said is what I love about our relationship is we know the other person will step up mm-hmm. when needed, but it doesn't always have to be the same person mm-hmm. stepping up. And it's like, yes, that's the thing is just knowing, okay, I got this one. And then there's going to come a time when you've got it and we take turns or whatever it is. And to me, that's how you both benefit, right? From from not clinging to the gender norms. It's like it allows for flexibility depending on what's going on and really function as a team. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So it's it's cool to hear your journey too. And um, I'm just glad that we both have that. And I, I wish that for everybody who wants it to have that. Mm, me too. So um, just thinking about the, the faith angle of this, because gosh, white supremacy – Christian supremacy and patriarchy have a lovely relationship oh, yes. with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I came across this piece in preparing for this episode on Red Letter Christians, which is a great website. If you don't know it, we'll link to it, uh, called Why White Guys Think They're Suffering mm. by Sam Altus. Tell us. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And I, well, you know, a lot of times when you write a piece, you don't come up with the title. I don't know if he did or not, yeah. but I said, really, it should have been called Why White Guys like me think we're suffering yeah. <laughs> because he identifies as a white man. Um, but in any case, he talks about the reluctance that he feels sometimes to pass the mic, like we were discussing, mm-hmm. um, and that it causes him some anxiety because part of his career is to be a pastor and a writer and a speaker and to have public platform and have some of that attention and he talks about that as like this generalized anxiety that's causing white guys to freak out <laughs> because get this, they're too wrapped up in their emotions about it. He says <laughs> like, we're being too emotional about it. Um, that like very fear based and mm-hmm. feeling anxious and, and like worried. And so he says that white men, uh, quote, need an intervention and that that intervention for Christian men at least can be the model of Jesus and how he lived his life. And I thought I would read a little bit from this piece, if you don't mind. He says, we need something to help us expand our capacity for understanding so that we can find an appropriate place for our own experiences. We need to acknowledge our own feelings while putting them in the broader scope of the feelings and experiences of others. Preach. Mm -hmm. For, For white guys who follow Jesus, the stories and symbols of Jesus can act as this intervention. They have the potential to expand our capacity for empathy while also acknowledging any perceived suffering. Those are literally the basic images of Christianity, a divine being who knows what it feels like to suffer and who insists on prioritizing the interests of others, especially those who have endured oppression. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, if we spend any time looking at Jesus' suffering at the hands of a brutal empire, we are quickly asked to examine our own social locations. My standing often looks more like that of the occupying force rather than the occupied resistance. Dang. I know. I'm sitting on the largest heap of historical advantage the world has known, which puts any perceived suffering in perspective. Those are big words. <laughs> right? Like, quit identifying with the crucified one mm-hmm. and think of yourself as the one nailing the, nailing the nails into the cross. Mm-hmm. I think we could all take that... <laughs> admonishment right. a little more seriously yeah that's right yeah i was thinking like the white the whiteness too yes. that he's alluding to mm-hmm, exactly mm-hmm. so do you think that jesus was a feminist i know that we've talked about this before but i guess my opinions about it have changed i think especially the more i sit 
with some of the stories in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Because I used to have this button that said, like, Jesus was a feminist, and I liked it. And, um, you know, I kind of like anachronistic labels for ancient stories. If you read my book, you'll probably see some of that. But I really don't think Jesus was a feminist. <laughs> um, but I do think that Jesus was surrounded by amazing women mm-hmm. who influenced him and shaped his actions and changed the way I think that he interacted with women throughout his life. Um, so his mother was very influential. She prompted mm-hmm. his, his first miracle, the turning water to wine, uh, at the wedding. If you read that story, she's the one who calls to his attention that there was a lack of wine and gets the preparations ready. So she definitely influenced him. I also love Martha of Bethany who mm-hmm. confronts him about the unequal division of labor in her household and just kind of calls the question on him. Um, and also, you know, as we're in Lent and thinking about Easter, Mary Magdalene was the one that Jesus chose to reveal himself to after rising from the dead and, mm-hmm. and gave her the, the power and the command to go and spread the gospel. So when we think about um, the first to preach the gospel was Mary Magdalene. Yes. And she was explicitly told to go teach and preach. Go. That's right. Not, not the disciples yep. who came by and were like, yep, tomb's empty. Bye. Yep. Nope. She stuck around and he was, yeah, I mean, he entrusted her with that. So um, I guess in those ways, Jesus evolved to me over time. And by that point in his life, I think was embodied a lot more of the feminist principles and maybe earlier on. Yeah. I don't have a very clear cut answer for this either. I think that if you strip away all of the modern day baggage we have or with the word feminist, if you take away the the connotations of the word and the cons and the concept that it's like man hating or whatever. Um, and you, you really boil it down to it. The essential truth that our biological human differences shouldn't dictate our social standing like, and our, our value as human beings and mm-hmm. our, whether or not we deserve respect <laughs> and compassion and, um, mm-hmm power honestly then yes i think you could say that jesus was a feminist because the essence of his teachings was that we as humans get it all wrong that we have too much emphasis on categorizing people valuing people differently and upholding this hierarchy on earth that isn't what god wants for us and isn't what heaven on earth would be and so i think um you know a lot of folks that are committed feminists that's the kind of earth we're trying to create you know one that looks Mm -hmm. more like heaven so Mm -hmm. then yeah i think you could say that jesus was feminist his teachings were certainly feminist in that regard but yeah like you said i don't know that jesus was a feminist but i think it's an interesting thought experiment anyway yeah no i like that i think that's good i think oversimplistic answers to questions like that are not useful but the exploration of the question can be really useful yeah I, i totally agree with that I guess we should move on to what we're reading and listening to. Yes, I would love to hear. It's been a while since we've updated. So what have you been what have you been listening to and watching? So I've actually had this one um, on a list of things to share on the podcast for a while, and it fits in really well here. Have you come across We Are Man Enough on Facebook? It's like a Facebook TV show, kind of like Red Table Talk. You're too cool for me. I don't watch TV on Facebook. Well, it's easy. It's way easier to watch on the website than it is on Facebook. <laughs> so we'll put the website in the show notes. It's wearemanenough.org, I think, but um, or manenough.org. We'll, we'll put 
put it in the show notes. But you can also look for We Are Man Enough on Facebook. So I know you watch Jane the Virgin. I yes. do. I love that show. So Justin Baldoni plays Raphael. And he he's just this really interesting actor. He basically, the show We Are Man Enough, he started to explore how we talk about masculinity and what it means to be a man in our culture. And so the episodes are all about him sitting down with his friends like over a nice meal and just talking about issues that affect men. And I, I highly recommend the first episode. It's called Why Don't Men Talk? That one I think is my favorite. He also, they explore on other episodes. They talk about Me Too. They talk about um, getting, oh, body image, men and body image and um, mm-hmm. vulnerability. But the first one is really neat because they just kind of talk about like, why don't men have deep relationships with each other? Why don't we talk? And they talk about um, what it was like growing up. Um, a lot of his friends are actors that people might recognize. Um, uh, one of them is Derek Huff. He, I think he's on like Dancing with the Stars. He's Julianne Huff's brother. He's a dancer. Okay, I know her, not him. Yeah, <laughs> he's a dancer, and he talks about like growing up dancing. He was bullied all the time, and he was called gay all the time. And um, the other guys, you know, kind of echo that. That one of the men talks about how even just expressing joy. Um, he grew up kind of in a tough Latino neighborhood in I think Brooklyn. And um, he was like, joy was something that could get you bullied. Um, So you just learn to shut off your emotions and stuff. And so um, I just, I really recommend this show. I think it's really neat what they're doing. And um, that's what I've been watching lately, I guess. So what about you? That sounds sounds really good. I have really put a pause on my consumption of media that is not rewatching the Gilmore Girls over and over again. And why might that be? <laughs> oh, well, I told you earlier on, I, I changed jobs. I was asked to become the interim executive director of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, Yay! which is a national org in D.C., and um, it's a transitional time. And so, I just feel exhausted and Mm -hmm. I'm reading a lot of budget reports and I'm reading a lot of grant reports and there's just not been a lot of space. I'm getting back there, but the first month has just been kind of an inundated time. Mm -hmm. But I have been listening to a lot of music and Sarah Bareilles is one of my favorite singer songwriters. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. She has this new album out called Amidst the Chaos and she's got a new song called Armor from her album that I thought might be good. And I I thought I would read a little bit of the lyrics. So it's let it begin. Let Adam in step one, original sin underneath the leaves. Adam found Eve. Both of them found something sweet under the apple tree. Then it was over roads divide. Step two, learning how to lie. Let me ask a question to present day. How the hell did Eve end up with all the damn blame? (laughs) And then to all the dirty looks, the kitty cat calls to the ones who try and throw us up against the back walls. Let me tell you something you'll understand. Only the little boys tell you they're a big man. To all my sisters and all our friends, we have to thank them. Please, strength means blessed with an enemy. I love it. And then, yeah, I could keep going, but um, it's, it's definitely in the kind of uh, spirit of the women's march and me too. And, um, like talking about the armor that women put on, but also kind of troubling the, the, the traditional masculinity and looking for something different, but also just talking about women's resilience and strength. Um, which is another thing I think women aren't associated with having that traditional kind of 
strength mm-hmm. um, and bravery, but she's basically saying from the beginning of time, women have been strong as well, which is definitely something I support and agree with. Yeah. I'm gonna, I didn't realize she had a new album, so I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I just, because on Spotify, I'll get a notification if an artist I like has mm-hmm. a new album and that one came out. And that one's definitely been one of those when I'm like on the airplane, it kind of helps me get going for the day when I'm feeling tired. Yeah. Like a pump me up yeah, song. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I love it. So I think you have this episode's Kindreds of the Moment. Yes, and I'm so excited. We've been waiting to share this one with you all. It's the E and Me podcast that's hosted by our friend of the pod, Reverend Rob McCoy, and his 11-year-old daughter, Ellie, who is awesome. Yeah. I wish we could have – maybe we'll have her on the show sometime because she's fantastic. But they're father and daughter, and they talk about all kinds of different things, just the two of them – um, talking about relationships with friends, relationships with boys, body positivity and beauty and um, just life stuff, stuff that they've been talking about since Ellie was a little girl. And it's just a really great display of communication between a parent mm-hmm. and a child. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of this, we'll play a short clip from their first episode, Body Image and Fitness. And just make sure you subscribe. They're in Apple Podcasts. It's the E and Me Podcast. So next time we are going to be talking about Katie's new book, Women Rise Up. Yay! Oh my gosh, it's about to be born. (laughs) I can't believe it. I feel like I've been um, hearing about and cheering along this book for a couple of years now. So I'm super excited. That's generous if you just said a couple years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I have an advanced copy and I've already started reading and I can't wait to finish it. It is a timely take on the tenacious women of the Bible. I think our kindred's audience is really going to love. So um, Mm. I can't wait to talk about it next week. And um, that's pretty much it for today. So stay tuned. We're going to play a clip from E and me. Katie, I guess I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you then. Hi, friends. Welcome to the E and me podcast. My name's Ellie, and I'm here with my dad, Rob. Peace ever, joy ever, following you. Light ever, love ever, radiating soon. We're calling this the E and Me podcast because that's what it is. It's just E and Me. And we're going to have some conversations. We're going to talk about life and growing up and school and faith and all sorts of different things. And we're a father and daughter and we have these talks. We have talks in the car. I feel like a lot of them end up being in the car, but we have mm-hmm. them. Uh, you know, before bed and at while we're cleaning up dinner, all sorts of different times. And one day we realized, you know, I think we have some, this is worth sharing. It is. Because conversations like this can be tough for parents. I know I talk to uh, other parents and they have so much trouble sometimes talking with their kids about really important stuff. And so this is a, just a chance. We're hoping that, you know, parents and kids can listen and, you know, not get all the answers because we're so smart and we're experts, um, but just have a chance to say, you know what? I get that. Start up a conversation. Yeah. And it's, 
it's it's really important because it's always been there and especially because now i'm 11 and even now like i'm still talking with my dad about things that are happening like in the world and with me as i'm growing up and how i'm being with my little sister and how i'm enjoying things that i don't know maybe some kids wouldn't normally enjoy or really most kids enjoy but spending time like spending time with myself is important but it's it's also cool to have someone I can go to to talk with, like to talk with and discuss. And that connection has always been there ever since I was little, and it's it's cool. Yeah, and you've got good friends, and talking with friends are important. But friends, yes. um, that I mean, that's an important side of life is having those friends. But it's also important to have somebody that you trust that's been through it, and and hopefully um, can the, share. Oh, what the wisdom, like the wisdom of like, I don't know, it just feels like you know more than i do <laughs> yeah. do you hear that helps. everybody she she referred to me and wisdom <laughs> in the same time i'm glad we're recording this um oh because God. she's 11 and she already knows that i'm wise oh you're very wise yes <laughs> you, te- you teach me a lot of very important things about life like star wars <laughs> and softball oh and yes especially star wars i teach you all about ballet too mm. i've told you all about the yep she flays oh and yes okay <laughs> Let's, yeah. Okay, that's a really joke we have. Ellie loves ballet. She loves drama. She loves softball. And ballet's full of French terms, and, and I just... Mispronouncing. Well, I just make up things that kind of sound pseudo-French. Yeah. <laughs> you try. What are, what are some of the things? Well, I guess there's passe, and then there's relevé, and tendu, and really some... Doublevé? No, that's not a... Okay. Um... <laughs> okay moving on (laughs) we'll move on okay so today we want to talk about uh, each episode we're going to talk about um kind of a a different topic a specific topic so this week um i think ballet is actually a good segue into it because we're going to be talking about uh like body image and fitness and feeling good about your body and feeling confident and being able to go out and like present yourself in a mature way but also to be able to like confidence and to be able to love yourself love yourself the way you are loving yourself the way you are that's really important that sounds yeah i think there's a lot of i think girls in particular but boys go through it too feel like they've got to look a certain way Mm -hmm. um you see images on you know your shows that all the girls are you know magazines perfectly photoshopped and like you you feel you feel like you got to be like them and you don't realize that, like, you're perfect just the way you are. And, like, sometimes, to be completely honest, no matter how many times I am told I'm beautiful by my dad, like, my parents, and even my friends, like, compliments and stuff. But, like, there's still that one little part of you that feels like you're not good enough. And for some people, that will always be there. But you kind of got to take that away sometimes. You kind of got to take it away and just love yourself. And that is, it's hard. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 